And uh, I also want to remind you, speaking of uh, Malcolm Honeline, uh, you get an uh, you get an opportunity to spend Pesach with him in Puerto Vallarta. That's where he and his family will be this uh, upcoming Yom Tov, uh, just two months from now. Uh, check it out either online at PesachInVallarta.com, PesachInVallarta.com, or, <clears throat> excuse me, by dialing 786 290 1-9-786-290-5919. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings at this time for the weekly update. Today, as we said, um, Malcolm Honline is in Jerusalem uh, speaking to us uh, on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. Coming straight virtually from uh, just a little while ago from Kenya and Uganda via Ethiopia, together with a delegation of our leadership. And we met with uh, the president, the leadership, the people in both countries, fostering closer ties to Israel and the U.S. and uh, many, many opportunities and visiting the benefiting from the Chabad presence. So we had kosher food everywhere. And uh, a really amazing experience, uh, almost eye-opening. And Nachman, I just want to tell you, for all the times that we talk about the claims to Israel, and to hear the president of Uganda turn to us and say, I met with the Iranian officials, and I told them, this is nonsense when you say the Jews don't belong there. They are the people who belong there. And he went through the whole history from Avram, Avram Avinu to, to the current day, asking questions, but at the same time conveying messages, but said how much, you know, he identifies and um, really gets it about the right of Israel to exist and the right of Jews to be here. Um, they, they, uh, we talked about their U.N. voting patterns and other things, which has improved in many African countries to abstentions, including there. Um, and it, the, the feeling towards Israel that we saw in Kenya and in in Uganda, walking around with yarmulkes on the streets without anybody batting an eye or anything but saying shalom or hello, Rabbi. Um, Truly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, truly, we had short visits, but we packed every minute, as we will this week with our conference. As I just mentioned to you, we have the prime minister, the president, the head of all the major parties. Okay, now one, one, okay. You, you have completely piqued my curiosity. So, first, first of all, my response usually is, I know you're never going to believe it, and this is a waste of time, but I'm really not a rabbi, and I, and I do find that reaction to be a complete waste of time. So there, number one, and let's just get this out of the way because there's so many other things that might be more important to ask. So there is a Chabad in all three countries, Kenya, Uganda, and Ethiopia? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Now, even in the airport in Ethiopia, which is a major hub for Ethiopian Airways, which is one of the largest in Africa, we were walking, and all of a sudden we look and we see it says Beit Knesset. Wow. There's a room designated, and it says openly Beit Knesset, and when I walked in, there were maybe eight, nine people sitting there. Uh, a Chabad guy who's from South Africa was just uh, transferring, and other people, Israelis and others, who, who were in the airport, and... Uh, so, yes, there's Chabad in each uh, place. Okay, I'm going to try not to make this trip the one you were just on, the, the complete focus of this uh, interview, but there's so much I'd like to ask. Uh, 
and frankly, we do have to get to some of the things going on even in this country this week. Uh, first of all, does the leadership in Uganda, and I find it fascinating that the that the leader of Uganda is the one telling about Jewish history, do, do they realize the role that Uganda has had in modern Jewish history? Aside from Entebbe, the, 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 how the word Uganda or the country name Uganda is so intertwined with the, uh, with the eventual vision of having a state of Israel? It, it, and being the alternative yeah. uh, offered, yeah. and he 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 raised it. He knew it, and he spoke he spoke about it, and he said it was a good thing you didn't choose uh, <laughs> this. <laughs> and it. and uh, <laughs> seriously, you said, pr- you probably agreed said, with him. I bet. <laughs> and he joked about them. Uh, he said, you know, they could be difficult neighbors. Joking, you know, that <laughs> there can think of the other place. But um, wow, no, he knows fully the history. And in the next question you're going to ask is, do they know about Entebbe? Right. So at the airport, there's an old airport where the Entebbe raid took place, where they held the hostages. There's a new terminal. Right. But the building where is kept as a shrine, where you see all the bullet holes, the place right next to where Yoni Netanyahu was, was shot, um, they keep uh, uh, things there from the time. But the building itself is, is a shrine. And people go to visit, and one of the airport employees came who was there at the time and described what was going on. And the uh, uh, and they talk very openly. They don't know, of course, describe it to Idi Amin's period right. and not the current regime. Um, but, it, but plain people talk about it also. I mean, it's really quite remarkable how, how significant it is seen to them and how significant the relationship with Israel, and I think keeping the shrine is... You know, it's not talked about with shame. They talk about the death of Dora Block as a tragedy and the death of Yoni. They know They know like those details? In every, I'm telling you, they they talk about it in the, that specifics. And There are people listening to this show who don't know those details. That's Unbelievable. true for sure. Unbelievable. Uh, and by the way, for the benefit of those listening here, I want to remind everybody that the Prime Minister of Israel has been on that tarmac, Correct. The one that that is yes, a strong. He went to visit for the 40th anniversary, and right. there are pictures. Uh, we came into the meet the president of the parliament, who is probably the second or third most powerful person in the country, and she hosted us and had all the members of the committee from all over the country sitting there, and um, we turned around, and there were there was bunting around the room, large of Israeli flags and Ugandan flags. In the parliament. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. And you, and you mentioned both Kenya and Ethiopia in addition to Uganda. It, it is hard for us to understand the situation for some Ethiopian Jews at this point. Now, I know over the last 10 days there have been reports about 100-some uh, being allowed to leave, move to Israel. Could you give us uh, a, a, a perspective on that specific news item uh, and what you discovered in Ethiopia? Well, first of all, I, I just want to say, Ethiopia, we transited, but we, there are ah. some of our people are there now today. Uh, but the the issue is very serious, and it's one that, they, that people talk about uh, in Ethiopia. Um, the J- Jewish community, there's still great concern, but a, 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 a number of them came just about, I think, uh, Ten days ago, when I was here, um, there was a group that arrived at the airport, 
And, um, you know, it's something that's still being addressed here. But we also met in Uganda with uh, a member of the parliament who identifies himself as a rabbi, wears a yarmulke in the parliament. Wow! And, yeah, I don't know how many parliaments in the world have that. And he's a leader of the Abu Daya community uh, who uh, identify as Jews. And they all came in, and men were wearing yarmulkes. They... Um, and talk about the Jewish practices in which they're engaged in history. It's not, I don't. It's not like the um, Ethiopian Jewish history. Right. It's more recent, but they, they there are there are other tribes. Uh, I think the Igbo and others were millions who claimed to be of Jewish descent. Unbelievable. Uh, so, so one might say. Well, no, that wouldn't be fair, really, to the Ethiopian Jewish community. I was going to say, it sounds like Uganda is the most Jewish of all these countries that you visited. But again, the community of Ethiopia is uh, is one that has a real presence. They may not have a yarmulke in parliament, but they have a, a real presence in the country, right? They had. Well, don't forget, most of the community is out. And, right. Uh, but still in Gondar, there are, and we met them, and many of them are relatives and you know, it's, they have to ascertain who's Jewish, who's not Jewish. Right. But in Africa, certainly the South African Jewish community and the leader of the community came to join us in Uganda when the Khan was the head of the Board of Deputies there and uh, joined us for while well, in both countries. But they are the biggest Jewish presence in, in Africa today. And, of course, you have Morocco and Egypt are part of it, but Egypt has just a few Jews, and Morocco still has several thousand and a vibrant Jewish community. Right. But South Africa is, is the most, although diminished and facing challenges. Well, well this is absolutely fascinating. For, for those who are wondering why some of the things you spoke about politically this morning, i.e. moving from, you know, from no votes to abstentions, etc., for those wondering why it's taken this long, what would be the answer? Okay, so that's a, actually a very good question, and and, um, and and let me just say when we made a decision where we go each year, right? You know, you remember last year we went to the United Arab Emirates, right? Year before Morocco, right. every year we pick a country where we believe we can make a difference in strengthening ties to Israel, strengthening ties to U.S. Actually, trilateral ties, and where we can communicate our message, our concerns, whether it's voting in the UN, whether it's you know the role of Iran and Turkey with the issues that we raise and discuss, and they discuss very openly, as I said, the president again, the two hours discussion, right. um, we, uh, other lengthening means the prime minister of Kenya for, for an hour and a half, and really tough discussions, and not, not hostile, but, you know, in-depth and taking on the issues, and explaining to us the rationale of why sometimes they have to do things that we don't like, but their circumstances. And the reason was that before uh, 67 and 73, you know that they, they had relations with Israel. Golda initiated it, I think, in 1958, uh, when they began Mashab, the aid program, when Israel you know, hardly had enough food for itself, but they understood that they had to play a bigger role. Anyway, and uh, you know, they all saw the pot of uh, oil at the, end, at the end of that rainbow right. and uh, did not materialize, and they all have come to realize that Israel has what they need, whether it's you know, water purification reclamation, whether it's post-harvest reclamation, increasing agriculture. Uh, Uganda told us that they have dozens of students studying in Israel to learn agriculture and management. And uh, we met at the airport a delegation of IDF who go to different countries and help train them um, in various uh, area aspects. 
Um, and so for many years, they followed the League of the Arab Union, uh, uh, Union of African Countries, rather, and the pressure of the Arab League there. Uh, I went to a meeting of the, Arab League, uh, of the African Union in Equatorial Guinea as the invitation of the president, and eventually the Iranians and the Palestinians raised such hell that they wouldn't begin the meeting until we were excluded. Wow. Uh, but many of the countries, but, but before that, I had 13 meetings with heads of state the day before, and many of them came to apologize. And in fact, the American Assistant Secretary of State for Africa wasn't admitted either. Uh, so there are a lot of forces and pressures on them. Uh, Turkey and Iran are very active, and they resisted, and they say that Israel has what we need, and they want more contact. They want more contact with the U.S. They want to see their uh, they want the economies to develop, and you know they they believe that the, the Jewish communities around the world can be very helpful to them. There are Jews active in business and other affairs there, and the uh, you know the uh, the attitude towards the Jews is, is very open. Uh, and they're saying now, look, we moved from voting against Israel to abstaining. And that, for them, is, is a big statement, he said, because we get a lot of pressure about it. I can imagine. We, of course, we, of course counter-pressured and said, look, right. you got to, because eventually, but these votes will end up hurting everyone. Because once you start having bias in the U.N. and you allow it to go on and, you know, you move in the right direction, but it's got to be much more. When I told them about the UNESCO vote, and there, as I said to you, the president talked about the biblical contact, but many of them are very religious Christians as well. And they were shocked. They did not know about the UNESCO votes changing the names on the holy places. And in one case, I won't say who, ordered uh, the, the ministry, the foreign ministry, to look into it and to report to me. And he said, from now on, I want to be consulted on these uh, votes. Unbelievable. Uh, and, and, and I asked the question about why it took so long. The truth is that now, as you've explained it, if people understand, and now I do better, the context of history that you just outlined, in many ways, one would say it's a miracle it took this short because they were so indoctrinated the Arab League and their neighbors had to say about Israel and what their role vis-a-vis Israel is. The other point... And I, they, I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. Let me just say, I just want to say, because you raised it, this is very important, and I know it's not what people necessarily want to hear about, but I, people oh, have a, to understand yes, this, yes, because yes. this is true in Asia, it's true in Africa, it's true in South America, and we have to do much more um, to enhance those, those uh, uh, relationships. But I, I was just I forgot what I was going to say to you. you what did you just say? Oh, I said that I, I initially said it's, a, it's, it's incredible how slow it took. But when you think about it, it really, you know, when you think about the context of history and how they've been indoctrinated by their neighbors in the Arab League, it, it really is much faster than one would think because of, uh, of everything, of all the baggage. Oh, that that's will... what you reminded me. Right. So one of them, you know, when, when the attack took place in, in Kenya, remember the terrorist sure. attack two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Sure. And I told them that we made a decision then that specifically because of the terrorist attack, we would not back out and we would come. And they gave us a standing ovation. Wow. Uh, The top leadership got up and they gave a standing ovation, the business community. And, you know, the very act of solidarity means so much. But they said to us, look at what the attack was for, because America moved its embassy to Jerusalem. He said, we know it's not because of that. But that tells you the kind of pressure and uh, that they try to exert. And, you know, they all face... Al-Shabaab, Boko Haram, all sorts of terrible groups because they're near Somalia. They have troops in Somalia fighting both countries, uh, uh, along with the U.S., and and trying to stabilize the situation. They're impacted by Yemen and 
which is just across the waterway from from uh, them from Somalia. Uh, so we got to, you have to understand their perspective as well. Unbelievable. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, we're speaking about Malcolm and the Conference of Presidents. They are just back in Israel from Kenya, Uganda, and Ethiopia, and that's what led to this uh, initial conversation. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, at com on the Nahum Single Network, and of course in the beloved NSN app. And those of you who are worried that you may have missed what you actually tuned in for, don't worry, we're getting to it in a second. And I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Malcolm, one last point on this trip, though. Um, it, it would be unfair to say that you officially carry messages from Israel. Obviously, that would be unfair. But unofficially, you did describe, you know, you, you come with certain messages and certain suggestions and a, and a desire to form relationships that will hopefully, uh, you know, be, be for the good of everybody in the long run. Do you do that for the U.S. as well? Do they look at you as not only an ambassador for Jewish or Israeli interests, but for United States interests as well? Uh, The answer is yes. And for what they want from the U.S., I mean, uh, we do not – I do consult with the White House State Department before we make the decision. Wow. They they intercede. They call these countries and notify them about the delegation and the importance they ascribe to our visits as they have – in the past, to the many places we've gone from Azerbaijan to Berlin to London to Kazakhstan and the UAE. So they are very supportive of it. This is citizen diplomacy, but we don't purport to speak for the government, either government. Right. We speak for an American Jewish constituency that's involved, that's interested. And when they see that we know what we're talking about, you know, leaders always test. The first part of the meeting is a test to see, do these people know what they're talking about? Are they the usual guys who just come, you know, and pontificate but don't really understand the issues? And if you show them the competence and you show them the the knowledge of, of their issues as well, but then you, you have a basis in which you can advocate it in a, to a much more receptive uh, audience. Got it. So... We we try to communicate the, some of the concerns that, you know, whether it's Iran sanctions, let's say, you know, compliance with Iran sanctions, and or they fail to support the U.S. resolution about Hamas being a terrorist organization, uh, abstaining or, in, uh, you know, so we talk about these issues in, in, in extensively. Right, and, and, and those they speak about who hate Israel, they all those hate the U.S. as well, right? That's consistent. And many of them hate them as well, and they're concerned about radicalization. Right. And, um, you know, they have a lot to protect. They want tourism, and they know that Jews travel and that Jews can be helpful in getting the message out. And, you know, both countries have amazing sites. We had a brief uh, trip, a game park trip in Kenya for a couple of hours early one morning. And, uh, and although we were in each country less than 48 hours, they covered a lot, a lot of ground. Unbelievable. Whole thing's incredible. Uh, we appreciate you sharing that with us. And, and there's another part to this trip, and that, as you alluded to earlier, is uh, really meeting with anybody and everybody involved in the world of Israel's politics. That's going to start, I guess, after Havdalah at some point and dominate the early part of next week. So we'll we'll hold that for a few minutes and, and ask you about what you anticipate in that regard and obviously go into detail, whatever you could tell us. Uh, during next week's conversation. But you, but you know what's going on here in the U.S., and I don't know how easy it is for you to understand the, uh, you know, the, the, the emotion and the throes of this whole issue that has really been in the news and everybody's been focused on uh, over the last uh, almost one week. Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat of Minnesota, ignited a fresh political firestorm on Sunday night, accusing the American 
Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, of paying members of Congress to support Israel. Subsequent to that, Malcolm, you know there's been a quote-unquote apology. Uh, you know there's been a, a disgraceful session with Elliot Abrams uh, on the Hill. Um, give me your take, even from thousands of miles away, about what's happening with this big news story. Well, obviously we follow it very closely, and I have talked to members of the leadership of the Democratic Party, to others in Congress. We've been urging them for a long time to confront this issue. We have been uh, working on it, uh, not just about Omar, but some of the general trends and and um, uh, the, the, her comments have nothing, uh, I think, go beyond anything we have discussed before. Right. Uh, with them, that this is this is not anti-Israel comments, or you know, she said she was uh, against BDS during a campaign, and then immediately after her election comes out for it, um, and she and others there who who are promoting these radical extremist uh, agendas, who identify not only with BDS but with with uh, anti-Semites who who appear with them with different people, and she in particular. I mean, the apology certainly lost credibility with her, with her comments, using it for fundraising since then. And, uh, and frankly, it can't, she said in the past, and some of them have said they didn't, uh, they don't understand why what they say is offensive to Jews, etc. There's no way you could not see, she could not understand why this was offensive. And it would not be tolerated in any other circumstance. But I think the, the onus here rests with the leadership of Congress, and the president came out very clearly on it. Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic leadership came out. We welcomed it, but also urged that there has to be some sanction, some action. Uh, so she's a member of the Foreign Relations Committee. Elliot Engels, the chairman, uh, he issued a, a statement criticizing, attacking her. But I think that there has to be some uh, price. Uh, that it can't be just dismissed that she's she's a novice and she doesn't know. There's a clear pattern here, and you know what what I worry about is the appeal that this has to to so many young people. Uh, the congresswoman in Queens uh, did a tweet about election electoral reform, uh, asking questions of of the chair and the committee, and it got 35 million retweets or tweets, whatever it is, and. I mean, I think she's the second most followed member of Congress, and um, and young people are being influenced by this. They don't know, they don't understand it, but it's somebody who's standing up. You fight against the system, and uh, I mean, the ideas that they have from socialism, so on, many many other subjects can be discussed, but um, they they do appeal to to uh, to young people, and it has to be clear that this is. They cross the line. It is unacceptable. Um, each one should be addressed on the merits of what they say and what they do. I don't think we should lump people together, but I do think there has to be a collective effort. Stand with APEC and stand with the, the Christians who's, who advocate for Israel and, and the idea uh, about taking money. When one looks at her finances and you find out she took $5,000 from CARE, she <laughs> took money from SARS, she took money from many others, and she's the one lecturing uh, the, how how the one from Queens has rocketed to fame in in these few short weeks is unbelievable. Uh, because on, the media feeds it. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, but, no question. You know, no question. look at how they they every word, even if it's nonsensical, the words of any of these people that 
<laughs> show lack of experience, lack of depth of knowledge, and yet the media feeds it and feeds it and exploits it. And I will tell you that Democratic leaders are very concerned about it because they understand the price. And this not only alienates Jews, it will alienate some of their base support and take the party in, in very extremist measures. And of course, Bernie Sanders then rallies to the support and defends her after the president's comments. So that's why you have to deal with this strategically and smart, but consistently and tough. Uh, Elliot Engel has the power to throw her off the committee or not? Probably not. Wow. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a leadership appointment. Got it. And, leadership has to remove her. And the other thing is, and, and, and you mentioned Democratic leadership, but it, specifically, you expected more from the Speaker of the House in this case. Am I right? Like, I, I know that, that in general, Democratic leadership, and you reached out to them, and uh, you know, and expressed your concern, but I, 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 I would expect that the Speaker of the House would have—I guess we can't use the word censure—but certainly would have been tougher on her than she was. Is that fair to say? She could sanction her, and she could have taken. And I, I hope this is not over. I hope that because uh, there's a pattern. This is not going to stop. Right. Omar is not going to stop. And and I think that we have to uh, hopefully that her constituents will be educated. We'll see this. All of these extremists who won, won in fluke elections, meaning that they won it with a minority vote. Like in Queens, it was 10 percent. Um, and minorities didn't often vote for these candidates. In, in Tlaib's case, I think there were five African-American candidates. And so got the vote got divided up or diluted. it. So, you know, you have to look at the circumstances, right. understand the elections, and see that good candidates run. Congress overall is very supportive. You saw the vote of 424 to 0. You see the votes on, on the aid to Israel, very supportive. So Congress remains, well, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be diverted. We have to support our friends. We have to build them up. I would, you know, take away the media attention from, from the extremists. Unfortunately, the media, you know, thrives on it and, and, and uh, you know, lives in it. Uh, and it's a, it's a way for them to express their opposition to the administration and other things. And to, but if they're really concerned about the movement towards extremism and divisiveness in society, then they should be concerned and not be be building up these figures. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I, I would assume the apology, quote unquote, irritated you, Me, meaning it, it probably would have been better in the long run if she would have stayed honest. And and not try to make believe that she's really not an anti-Semite. You get what I'm saying? That better to, better. Again. I mean, I I just think it's better for her to be honest and and let us know where she really stands on these issues, and then offer a quote unquote apology that doesn't really seem like an apology. That 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 is actually a legitimate debate point that it's often asked: Do we do we want anti-Semites under the rocks or or? Under the, Exposed, the, the right. healing power of, of sunlight so the world sees who they are and what they are. Right. I don't think people generally will elect extremists or haters or bigots. They attract support. And when if they're anti-Israel, you know, they get a lot of money. They get support from the individuals, and people can look at the record of, of the support that um, uh, some of these candidates got. Right. But, but you know, it, once it becomes commonplace, once it becomes accepted, we see the swastikas now appearing in, in, on campuses and other places. Once these things become accepted and you say, well, it's better that we see what they're doing. No, I want them to stop doing it. I want the universities, I want everybody put a stop to it. I want law enforcement, prosecute, 
go after the people responsible. It, it's not just a question of freedom of expression. If somebody wants to criticize a policy of Israel, they should be free, free to do it. That, right. That's you know when they attack the ACLU and all them attacking the anti-BDS legislation, they do it under the guise that it's freedom of speech. It's not. It doesn't say anywhere in any of these laws that if somebody can't say, I, I criticize Israel, I hate Israel, whatever. What it talks about is corporations and others who engage in systemic uh, uh, process of boycotts and discriminatory practices. Well, that's not the same thing as what they're talking about. But most of them don't know, and it became a rubric then to rally support and then to reach out to others and say, well, do you believe in free speech? You say, yes. So, and there'll be a couple of the laws in the states that maybe go too far, so they'll be amended. But, but uh, you know, if a judge decides that right. it, it impinges in some way. Right. But that's nothing to do with the federal legislation, and it's not the reason why they, they oppose BDS. They oppose the, the anti-BDS uh, measures because they support it. They support efforts to de- demonize and delegitimize the state of Israel, and in many cases, openly, the Jewish people, not just clandestinely. Well said. I hope everybody listening uh, internalizes that. By the way, I mean, look, it's obvious that, you know, as much as all of us want to respond and take an active role in uh, in in, um, in in writing and in, uh, in voicing our opinion on these issues, obviously for the people of Minnesota, uh, you know, in Omar's case, or the people in Michigan in Tlaib's case, uh, obviously, their input is greater, but nonetheless, you would not discourage anybody around this country from calling their office to discuss and to express their concern about their comments, what we think of their apology, etc. You would, you would not discourage that at all, correct? And more than that, of course, correct. But more than that, to also call members of Congress, uh, our friends and others, and say to them, "What have you said about this?" Right. Where, where, where's your public statement? And to express support and to show our friends, um, you know, the first one that uh, what's the name? Oh, I see. Uh, attacked was Hakeem Jeffries, the highest-ranking black in Congress, uh, friend of ours, a member uh, represents a Jewish, a large, a significantly Jewish district in which I live in in Brooklyn. Uh, a very intelligent guy. It's, nobody votes 100% does everything we want, and, and that's not the test. But to, that it's important for us to show that we will stand with the good guys. A guy like Steny Hoyer, who came out right, forthrightly all along, and many others who, who did issue, say the right things, and, and um, uh, responded immediately, they should, they should be supported and, and not just build up and attack the bad guys, but build up the good guys. Yeah, no question about it. Now, let me ask you a question. You're in Israel. I would assume at some point, uh, you know, over the last few days, you've seen or spoken to the prime minister. He knows the United States probably better than most Israelis. Does he say to you, uh, Malcolm, you see what's going on in your country over there? You know, it, 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 things aren't as rosy for our community as it used to be. Is, is he taking notice and, and giving warnings to American Jewish leadership about what's happening over here? Well, it's actually something we have warned him about for a long time. And... Um... I think he's very sensitive to it. I don't know if you saw a Victor Lieberman uh, comment about uh, uh, a warning to American and European Jews to say, listen, you know, you see where your future is, the the rise of 60% increase of anti-Semitic attacks in uh, Germany, 74% in France, if I remember correctly, and uh, in England, a significant increase. And then he came under criticism, some from American sources, for saying it. 
and and uh, I think Netanyahu, who did not echo it in that direct fashion, but but is looking at this as there are many Israeli leaders uh, and are concerned about the direction, both in terms of support of Israel, but also the security and safety of the Jewish community. It's a subject we'll be discussing during the days ahead. The Prime Minister will be speaking to us on Monday and the President, and we also have the heads of the major parties. And I think this is a theme that, that many of them will express and turn up, talk about the anti-Semitism. They, of course, blame each other for for any of the problems that exist, but that's the nature of Israeli politics. Um, and the, the uh, but But absolutely, this is a frontline issue, and we'll be discussing it in in various format forums uh, through the days as we as we look at the issues, both locally, regionally, globally, and uh, and specifically the Jewish agenda. Malcolm, you can leave this as a yes or no answer if you wish, and publicly, I have a feeling you will. Uh, were you were you did you get into discussions, or were you informed in Ethiopia about any Israeli citizens who might be held in Ethiopian prisons? Well, uh, first of all, we have been very involved with, with Menashe Levy's case for a long time. Uh, as I said, we only transit, uh, transferred oh, right. in, Sorry. in right. Ethiopia. Right. Sorry. Uh, but, but we have been in touch with them for a long time, and um, our hope is that something will come of it. And, and we, we were working on it uh, for years, and I've been in touch with Ethiopian officials about it, and have, so have many, many others, the government of Israel, got ready some of the reports has been involved because I know they've they've uh, been present where this has been discussed with them and uh, it's it's uh, tragic as our we have several cases right now in different parts of the world of people who are being held but you know many cases it's it's imperative to keep it um, quiet so you don't lock the governments into taking public positions right. which may be harder and and more difficult to to reverse or to find ways around Many times, I can tell you, we have resolved such sensitive issues by doing it quietly, and, um, and and that doesn't mean we don't use public pressure. The American government has intervened. Uh, many others, as members of the Senate, have intervened. It's it's a tragedy that uh, what uh, he's been going through, and you can imagine what life in an Ethiopian prison must be like. Yeah. But we will continue to to do it. Appreciate that, and certainly appreciate the answer. Um, finally, you have a big week ahead. You, you you will be in your and the group, the conference of presidents, will be meeting with, you know, as I said earlier, anybody and everybody in the political world in Israel, and certainly uh, current government members. Um, <laughs> with with everybody, I assume on the campaign trail. Is this the one year where they wish they didn't have to spend some time with Americans because they they know how valuable all this campaign time is as the election is looming? But it's also a platform, and uh, we, we set up a system where we give them a half an hour. Most cases, they get interviewed by a journalist, just one-on-one, and then take questions from our leadership. Uh, we try to do it in an interesting way, but we have uh, you know one after another and then some others, in be- other people in between to break it up. But the, you know, I think that they welcome the platform because they do believe in American Jewry in particular and world Jewry are, um, you know, the government of Israel has responsibilities, ties uh, to them right. and they to the to Israel. And so they respect the, the form. They work with us during the year and we have communication with them, uh, with the leadership in the, across the board. And and this is an opportunity for them, and, but also for many other people. The head of the space agency, the head of the, of the in, 
Innovation Authority, the the mayor, the new mayor of Jerusalem, and the whole Jerusalem City Council. And we go to Harazet, and we're doing the strategic tour of Jerusalem to see some of the most sensitive new issues that are not even public yet. Um, and uh, we're going down south, and we're we're going to the Tibot Air Force Base, and to uh, ending in Beersheba with a big dinner at the. Water Center, but the the um, day is going to be spent. We're going to visit one of the terror tunnels to really understand what what do they mean, what do they, how do what goes into them. And I mean, we'll be spending a, a day with the IDF and with top officials, briefing and explaining the threats that exist both north and south. So the the it's such a wide variety of things that take place. Uh, whether it's on BDS and, and anti-Semitism, and, and we have such a panoply of issues. The question is how you get it all in, and a session to analyzing the election and what the real trends, what's going on behind the scenes in, in the campaigns. Amazing. Uh, this has been a great weekly update. Greatly appreciated. Um, next week, My pleasure. Next week uh, in Chutzlaretz or still in Jerusalem? No, next week at home here in Israel. Nice. All right. We look forward to it again. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. God willing. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. If you tuned in late to this one, folks, make sure to hear the archive. Make sure. Uh, and Although, <laughs> by the way, things look on our back end. I think almost everybody in the, on the globe is tuned in at this point. Uh, but if you missed anything at the beginning, I'm telling you, uh, this was a fascinating weekly update. Malcolm Holmline from Jerusalem.